Uh, today, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and the issue of gospel-centered parenting. So if you'll turn there with me, I will read the passage for us this morning. Paul writes this, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So as I think about speaking to you about parenting, uh, I just kept thinking about how much pressure there is under parents as they parent today. Uh, there is so much pressure, and, and, and there always has been, and there is a unique way in which there should be. I mean, you are raising a human being after all, so there's some pressure. But the pressure is greater than it used to be, and I don't know when it began, but it was certainly beginning to amp up when Becky and I were having kids. There's all these decisions that you have to make, all this input. Social media helps a ton, I have found. And there's all these decisions that you need to make even before having a kid, right? I mean, like, when are you going to have the kid is largely out of your, your uh, choice, but where you have your kid. Are you going to have it at a hospital? Uh, are you going to have it a home birth? Uh, or barn. I mean, you've got lots of, lots of opportunities. That last part was a joke, by the way. But when Becky and I were having our boys, there was this book that was really popular among Christians at the time, and it was entitled, How to Become Judgmental of Every Other Parent in 10 Simple Steps. <laughs> Did you guys read that one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, you put your kid on a super strict schedule, uh, get them to sleep through the night, and then quickly judge everyone else on the basis of where their kid is sleeping through the night. So our first two slept through the night very fast, very quickly, and so we started feeling like, we got this. You know what I mean? Like, we're doing the steps. We know how to do this. Look, this book is dead on. And, and then we would hear these poor souls that would say like, Oh, pray for us. Our kid is not sleeping uh, through the night at all, and we, can't, we don't get any sleep. And we're like, the book. I mean, <laughs> you know, like follow these very easy steps. And if you're a good parent, you know, this is what you'll do. And then our third son came along, and he said, your attempts at this schedule thing are admirable. But listen, I, I, I tell you, we are growing this kid Zach's way, not God's way. <laughs> All right, this is how it's going to be done. I, I scoff at your scheduling. I, I scoff at, at like two and a half, he informed us, maybe three. As soon as he could start talking, like nap time's done, okay? <laughs> like that ain't happening anymore. And so we were humbled. <laughs> Parenting is inherently pressure-filled. And here's the thing. I feel like more and more we are pursuing this ideal and with the advent of social media and all the pressure that we're putting on one another, I am begging God this morning as we spend some time in his word that you younger parents in particular and parents of teenagers will, will be able to relax and take some of the pressure off of yourself. Listen, 
we all want the ideal. These are, our human be- these are human beings created in the image of God that God has entrusted to us. We feel all this pressure, all this desire. But social media and all of everything around us is saying, shoot for the ideal. You have to have perfection in everything. And that's unrealistic because life, as you know, has an amazing tendency to throw us less than ideal situations, right? Uh, when my mom and dad had me, I know that my mom was not envisioning having to raise me as a single parent, but that's exactly what she had to do between the age of five and 11. And look how great I turned out. I mean, come on. (laughs) That was also a joke, right? You're not supposed to laugh at that. That's okay. So as, as Paul gives gospel application to these household codes that we mentioned last week of the Greco-Roman world, like people like Aristotle, he doesn't parrot their culture and he doesn't parrot ours as well. Instead, he calls everyone who has a position of authority uh, to be a servant leader. In a culture that said that fathers had absolute rule and authority over their children, Paul warned them not to provoke them to anger. And in that culture, it would be fine for a father to provoke them to anger. In a culture that said that women literally exist to serve men, uh, he said, no, husbands, love your wives in the same way that Christ loves the church, and remember that you literally are one flesh. How can you even separate yourself uh, from your wife? So... uh, In a culture that said all that, Paul is saying, do not exasperate your children. Do not provoke them to anger. Instead, bring them up in instruction and admonition of the Lord. Now, from ancient history and and examples in art, there's ample evidence that people in this day did love their children. And I think in every civilization, they love their children. But obviously, in that day and age, children were to be seen and not heard, Right? And that reminds me very much of the way my own dad and parents were raised, I think. is like uh, seen and not heard. They were up early on the farm uh, to do chores, extreme, two or three hours before going to school, out in the cold and working with cattle or in agriculture. So we are so child-centric as a culture, to put it mildly, we celebrate every single achievement regardless of how trivial with a party and a trophy, right, and a flurry of social media posts. We, we do, let's face it. We all do. But in this culture, one in five infants died in childbirth. Think about that. And only about half the children that were born lived past the age of 10. And by the time children were seven, uh, most children were working full-time or part-time in agriculture or in some shop. Infanticide was readily practiced. Um, and if a child was unwanted, they were just utterly abandoned and exposed. And that usually was with uh, females, little girls would be left. Many children were raised in slavery, and all slaves, of course, especially women and children, were subjected to all manner of abuse and exploitation. And so, last week we saw these household sections begin with a commandment from Paul uh, for all believers to submit themselves first to Christ as Lord, and secondarily to submit themselves to one another. He says this in Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence uh, to Christ. And so, as we address children and parents and fathers and mothers and, and, and husbands and wives, and next week, um, uh, bond servants and masters, 
Ultimately, Paul's big idea is not about who gets the power and who gets to be in control. Instead, who gets to lead in serving and caring and dying for the other. Instead, Paul's main idea is about a king who is establishing a church, right, of a group of people that look to him as Lord, and that king is the one who came not to be served, but to serve. And if anyone ever deserved to be served, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. But instead, he washed his disciples' feet. He served them, and he served us, of course, unto death, that we may be saved from our sins. And so if any of you go into parenting with an idea of anything but service, (laughs) you will be sorely mistaken, right? Especially in the early years where it is serving and serving and serving with very little feedback. So so first today, we begin with a word to children from Paul. And, And the main message there, of course, is a simple one and straightforward. Children, obey and honor your parents. And so you honor them the most through obeying them. And, and you wonder, like, is there a Greek verb in here that maybe we could, you know, is there a way out of what Paul is saying? And no, he basically means obey. So you get that, guys? You with me? They're not even listening. So it, it literally means to listen to, uh, like, one who knocks at a door and, the, and the, a porter's, like, listening to open the door. It means to obey. And your parents, children, they have a responsibility to raise you, and they have been placed in authority over you. Your job, as hard as it is, is to listen and to obey. Now, your parents are obviously not perfect. They don't come hardwired with all the answers, uh, but their job is to lead you and to demonstrate God's love for you and to protect you and even to restrain you from your own devices, but why, he says, why, why would, but what's beautiful about this is there's a promise associated with this command, and it's the only of the Ten Commandments that had a promise in it. It's that you would live long in, in the land that the Lord your God will give you, and Paul is mimicking that. Honor your father and mother. It's the only commandment with a promise, and so what is that promise? Like, is that prosperity? Is that saying, like, if you honor your father or mother, everything's just going to go great in life? And no, this is more like proverbial wisdom that, generally speaking, if you live your life honoring your father and mother, you'll flourish, generally speaking, that God, God's will is good for humanity. And as we obey him and walk in his ways, we flourish. Kids, your parents aren't as naive as they look, Okay. You have a smartphone, and they had a Walkman, you know. Uh, you have Xbox and virtual reality. Uh, we had to buy tokens at an arcade and play Donkey Kong there. You know, we couldn't even do it at home. But they know stuff. They really do. And as we age, our relationship with our parents shifts from obedience to seeking their counsel uh, from them. And parents, you have to make that shift too, and that's hard. We have a cultural tendency to think that everything that is new is improved, but our elders have gained wisdom through experience, and we should seek it out. It says in Proverbs 1, listen, uh, my son, to your father's instructions, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. They will be a garland to grace your head and a chain to adorn your neck. And I can't tell you how rewarding I have found this, even today, to be able to call my parents uh, for advice. And the younger that I was, uh, the more I had to do that. But there was such blessing in seeking 
their advice and wisdom and, and leadership issues and parenting issues and all kinds of decisions that we had to make. And then finally, as we grow and our parents grow older, we honor our father and our mother through care. It says in 1 Timothy, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and repaying their parents and their grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. And so today, people are living longer and due to medical advances, but they are often isolated and uncared for. And my mom and my stepdad have been such an amazing examples in the way that they cared for my grandparents and my aging aunts and other family members. And it is so hard, if we're honest, for Becky and me to be separated by such long distance as they are at an age now where they need to be cared for. So one of the ways we honor our parents is by looking after their physical needs and their health needs when they are elderly. Children are called to honor and obey, and parents are called to be honorable. And that's what we're going to talk about for the rest of the time, a word to parents. Paul says this, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger on the one hand, but instead, what should you do? Bring your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Notice, of course, that he speaks to fathers, and this isn't that mothers aren't important, um, and I think it'd be fine to make this a synonym and say fathers and mothers. You, You can both apply this. But we all know from life's experience that there's a unique power in a father's ability to bless and to curse a child. Uh, There's a reason why counselors talk about the father wound so often, over and over. The father wound is so prevalent. So fathers, he says, don't provoke your child to anger. And the word provoke can mean to rouse to wrath, annoy, like bullying or picking at, exasperating, riling, or to enrage. And I kind of have this mental picture of, of somebody just poking you over and over and over unrelentingly. This isn't saying that kids should never uh, be upset with you. Uh, In fact, I would say if your kids are never upset with you, you're doing something wrong. Like our kids would often say to us, like, I'm so mad at you right now. And I'd be like, yeah, that's fine. That's that's okay. I'm so mad. I am so mad right now. I'm like, Great, that's not a problem for me. Like that's, That is part of my job description at this point. So going forward, let's talk about this. How to provoke your children. How to provoke your children. First, put your children ahead of your marriage if you want to provoke your child. Your children gain nothing if you make your family life all about them. Uh, meaning Jesus said, you can gain the whole world and lose your soul, right? But you, you can, if you make all of life all about your kids uh, to the neglect of your relationship and your relationship doesn't flourish or even worse, comes to an end, that will provoke a child to anger. Jesus once said, what do you profit if you gain the whole world or lose your souls? The breakdown of the family is one of the most prevalent reasons for children to be provoked to anger. Now, on the other hand, many of you are divorced or, or, the, or, or experienced childhood in divorce, as I did. It's not a curse. It doesn't mean that God can never bless you. God can try up over all things. But this is a warning to those of us that are married and are raising kids. Do not put the main priority on your children, even though everything in our society is saying to do it. 
one of the greatest things you can do is to continue to date one another, uh, to find common interests now. It, it, it seems as if time will never pass long enough for kids to leave your house, but there's coming a day when they will. It, it seems strange. It just seems like it will never happen, but it does. And when it does, will you have anything left for one another? Don't wait till then. You dated one another before, kids. Uh, you will have to date one another later. Begin now. Pursue one another. Get time away. Even out uh, for a weekend away from the kids, they'll be fine. It's good for you. If you want to provoke your children, put your children ahead of your marriage. Second, if you want to provoke your children, don't make time for your children. We provoke them when we don't spend adequate time with them. We're so much into quality time these days, we think of like these big experiences, but certainly quality time is fine, but even more importantly is just everyday time, everyday moments with our kids around a table, everyday opportunities after school, everyday at night as they're going to bed, checking in to pray, to talk, any challenges today I can be praying for you, anything going on in your heart or life, addressing their fears and concerns. We, we can be there literally, we all know this, right? You can literally be there, but not really be present emotionally, not really be present inter interacting or engaging. So think about this, how often we say wait to our kids, right? Just wait, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, this is so convicting to me as I think about our kids when they were young and we were planting the church. We were so busy and I can't tell you how often I had to say, wait, yes, I'll be there just a minute, just a minute, just a minute. We are already so distracted by things that are largely out of our control, right? Like work. Um, if you travel a lot for work, that's probably largely out of your control. And so with the rest of our time that is within our framework to control, be mindful of your time and give your kids the time that they need. Next, if you want to provoke your child, do not discipline them. It actually provokes children to anger when we don't give them boundaries. I, think, I know it seems opposite, but it's not. It's absolutely false to believe that. When, when you don't discipline, you provoke them. They need limits, believe it or not. They need to feel, uh, they, or they will feel unsafe without limits and without boundaries, and they're provoked. And parents need to be united as a team in discipline. This is incredibly difficult, though. Becky would tell uh, one of our boys, no, right? Something, they would ask a specific thing. Becky would say no. Uh, they would say, thank you, mother. I appreciate your answer. And then they would go find me. And then they would not say, now, dad, full disclosure, mom's already said no to this, right? Instead, they would say, can I do whatever they just were told no to? And I'd say, sure, right? So they will divide and conquer, right? One of them will like lay down suppressing fire while the other one goes in and gets what they want. So you have to be careful and you need to be on the same team. Next, if you want to provoke your child to anger, discipline out of anger or discipline excessively. Discipline, and this is so hard, is not for your convenience as a parent. It's not to have a quieter home. Uh, it's not just to get what you want. Uh, it's, it's for the good of the child, and it must be aimed at their heart, not just their behavior. Uh, it's so much easier to control behavior, like even us as adults, right? It's another thing to have a heart change. And so what we're going for is not just to get your kids to do what you want in a moment, but to be shepherding their hearts for a lifetime, right? 
thinking about their hearts. It says in Proverbs 4, keep your heart with all vigilance for from it flow the springs of life. So if, you, if you're disciplining out of anger or you're not disciplining uh, towards their heart but towards just behavior or if you're excessively disciplining, like abusively, you will raise, rise them to wrath against you, perhaps for a lifetime. Be careful to not be abusive in the way you speak with them, especially the way you discipline them physically. Like, uh, be careful with even emotional abuse. They, they, this, will, this will rise a child to wrath and provoke them to anger. And Jesus had very, very harsh warnings for anyone that would keep one of these little ones away from him. And abuse, of course, is a stumbling block. It's so hypocritical. So it, it, it doesn't make sense for, for a child who's being raised in a, a home that's teaching them the gospel. So if there's an abusive situation going on, it's such hypocrisy. It is a stumbling block for them coming to faith. And Jesus warns, it is better to have a millstone, a very large rock, tied around your neck, and for you to be thrown into the ocean. <laughs> Take heed. The next thing, if you want to provoke your child, be sparse in your affection. Some of you didn't grow up in homes where verbal expression was given much, or maybe that's not your MO, but children need to be told that they are loved. They need to be told that you are proud of them. And, and not just the, not the stuff we're talking about earlier where we're throwing a party for everything, but they, they need words of affirmation. And I honestly don't think we can hug our kids enough or tell them they are loved enough. This is, this is a good gift to them. Next, if you want to exasperate your children, be overprotective and smother them. Last one. This is so hard to know how to balance, but overprotection can actually cause resentment. As children mature, they can be given more responsibility and, and given even room to make mistakes. The older the child, the more freedom should be granted, especially if that child has been showing that they're responsible. And this is so hard, and I can't tell you how difficult this was for Becky and me to navigate. Knowing, knowing when to say yes to something, when to say no, being on the same page, this was so, so hard. So finally, he says, don't provoke your child to anger, but instead do this other thing, the most important thing. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Don't provoke them, but instead raise them in the instruction of the Lord. And we need to have a goal for our parenting, a vision for our parenting. And the vision it shouldn't be some unrealistic ideal or some, or some crazy out there thing. The ultimate vision, in my opinion, for a Christian family is that their child would love the Lord their God and be on a path to learn to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love their neighbor as themselves. That's it. Now, that's impossible without the gospel, right? But on the one hand, that's it. Uh, it doesn't matter what they do, ultimately, in life. It doesn't matter what their role is. It doesn't matter what their title is. It doesn't matter if they make a ton of money or a little bit of money. If they love the Lord their God and they're seeking to love him more, they're on the journey of what that means to love him with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and are going to be a benefit to others in such a way that they will love other people and other people around them will flourish, their own spouse, their own children, their church as they serve there. What a blessed thing. Amen? That is the goal. 
And it's interesting how God has a serendipitous way of getting us there in a serpentine way. Like we think it's always just a straight path, but it's often not. Our, our children have to go on their own journey, but our, our goal is not some ridiculous, unrealistic expectation. It's, it's simple love of God and neighbor, and then be free. We need to have a goal. Your aim is far greater than what they will do. It has to be in who they're going to be in their heart. Your aim is for them to love Jesus and to love other people. But there's sort of a common fallacy that I think is growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger because so many people feel like they've had faith pushed down their throat or down their life that they feel very concerned to not over uh, push it with their children. And so I've heard so many people say, like, I, I'm a Christian, I have faith, but I don't want to push that down my kid's throat because that was such a bad experience for me. But, so we're not talking about legalism. We're not talking about, like, unrealistic uh, rules and regulations. But we are saying this. Would you do this with any other respect of life? Say, for example, that your seven or eight-year-old said, hey, you know what? I've decided I'm not going to school anymore, Okay. This whole education thing, I don't know. I don't know if I'm into it. <laughs> you probably say, like, you know, that's important for you to figure out. I really think you need to think, you know, yeah, I'm just going to give you the freedom to figure that out. You might try a different approach. You might try a different school. You might homeschool instead of send to a traditional school. You might send it to a private school. You might get a tutor. But you're not going to quit taking the education of your child seriously, right? You're just not. Most of us, even with sports when they're young, don't even give them that many options. Like, we're like, y'all are playing baseball, okay? I don't care if you like it or not. This is what we do. That didn't work very long, but it worked for a while, right? We don't give them all this kind of rules for different things. Like we, so with our faith, with the most critical thing about knowing the God that made the universe and knowing him through Jesus Christ and his goodness, why on earth would we say, ah, I don't know if I want to make that such a priority. Friends, it has to be the priority. In order to do that, though, and this isn't a shame thing. This is just a, a reality thing. You can't give anyone what you don't have, right? I can't give a dollar that I don't have. Uh, I can't give you a meal that I haven't made and don't have. I can't give someone the gospel if I'm not living in the gospel. And so we, we need, and this is not to shame us, but to be a people that are saturating our own hearts and lives in the gospel so that it just flows out of our life into our children's life. How could it not? We need to know the gospel. We need to live the gospel. Even more importantly, we need to teach the gospel. And one of the most beautiful ways you can teach your child the gospel is to ask them for forgiveness. Because trust me, you need to do that. You sin against them all the time. Admit your failures you're charged with leading your child as a parent, but the, one of the greatest ways you can lead is to show them how much you need Jesus. To realize that you're not the perfect standard, that you're not sinless, that you're not without the need of Christ every single day. Show them your need of Jesus. There's a beautiful book uh, written by an, an author named Jessica Thompson, and she says this, when your child lies is lying because he doesn't want to get into trouble, you can tell him that his life is hidden in Christ and that the very sin he's trying to cover up has already been canceled. Beautiful. When your child feels alone, you give them comforting words of Christ. I am with you always to the end of the age. 
When your child, she feels friendless, you tell her that Jesus is closer than a brother or sister and he loves you. And the good news, she writes, for, for us parents is that Jesus is strong and faithful enough to use our failures to glorify himself. He works in our weakness and he proves himself strong. There is so much pressure on, on you ladies who want to be moms someday or wives, ladies that are young moms who are wanting to be, have kids, those of you that have kids, there is so much pressure. And I think most of the pressure is on moms, if I'm honest. And I just beg God, and I, I'm begging you to let some of that off of your back today and to put it on Jesus, because Jesus said his burden and his yoke is light. We can't control our kids into freedom. We can't. That's the opposite of freedom, right? And so I just plead with you to, to take some of the pressure off of your hearts in your life. It's too much. You can't bear it. Cast all of your anxieties upon him, for he cares for you. He loves you. He's for you. And think about your own life, as imperfect as it is, if you've come to faith in Jesus, and you're, you're one of those people that loves God and is on a journey of loving him more and loving other people more, how did you get here? It was because your parents were perfect, right? <laughs> Some of you have never even met your father, and yet here you are today. Some of you are the product of, of horrible divorce or abuse, and yet here you are. Some of you have never been told that you're loved by a father or mother. Never. Never told that they're proud of you. And yet, here you are today. Jesus, look what he can do. And so we can, we can let some of the pressure go and put all of our cares on him. And I have a word to some of you older parents as well. I have so many friends in this church that are, have been faithful followers of Jesus their, their lives, throughout their lives, and they've loved on their kids really well. Uh, they raised them in the church. They raised them, raised them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. They repented to them. They did, they did it by the book. And I, I mean the gospel book, not, not the law, not legalism. And yet they have wayward kids who've walked away from the Lord or walked away from the, the path that they have been told to walk on or maybe don't even have a relationship with their parents any longer. And you hear a sermon about parenting and you live your life as an adult and you look back and you think, oh my gosh, all the mistakes, look what I've done to my child. I just beg you to take some of the pressure off of yourself also and to say, I don't know if you realize this, but when your kids come out, uh, you younger parents, they come out kind of who they are. I used to think it was like 90% nurture and like 10% nature. And now that I've done this three times, I'd say it's reverse. They just kind of come out the people that they are, and it's your job. You can't control them. You can't even change them. You're just shepherding them. You're just trying to move them, and the Holy Spirit has to do his work, right? And so here's the thing. I'm, I'm just pleading with you older parents. Don't, don't shame yourself on this, and we pray if there's room to repent, if there's ways in which God is showing you that you can repent to your kids, and, and there, it's never too late to go to them and beg for forgiveness. But maybe that's not the issue. Maybe, maybe it's just a mystery, and, but I plead with you. We want to be the kind of church that doesn't judge anyone just because their, their kids didn't turn out the way that we'd all hoped. 
God is still faithful. God is still faithful to his covenant. There's still hope. We need to be a community that's praying for one another and our children and and our adult children that they may come to know Christ and walk with him and encourage one another. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, for the young fathers and mothers in this room or those who hope to be someday, Father, I, I plead with you, would you take this pressure valve and relieve it, Lord? Help them to know that your burden and yoke is light, that you have to be the one to change the hearts and lives of their kids. And we have a huge role, we know that, and we should take it seriously, but Lord, there's, there's limits. We are limited. We are finite, finite. So, Father, in our finitude, would you help us just to say, these kids are ultimately your kids. And we are imperfect fathers and mothers, but we, we entrust our children to you. And, Lord, would you release, release us from this sense that it's all on our shoulders. It's not. You're God. We are not God. And, Father, for... Uh, for these marriages that are raising kids together, Father, I pray that they would prioritize you first and one another uh, second and, and truly make the focus of their marriage a healthy one for the sake of their children. And Father, for older parents that are struggling with so much sadness and wonder and, and just feeling overwhelmed by the way things have ultimately turned out, Lord, I just plead that you would relieve their burden as well and that you would walk with them in this hardship. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.